passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. This is John Pollock. Solo tonight, it's a bonus show. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Tonight, I'm going to be running through the NXT TakeOver event that went down, just wrapped up from the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, the first of four straight nights in Houston for the company with Survivor Series weekend. Wei Ting is away because, as you have heard, if you've been listening to our most recent shows, he is off in Japan where he is just living it up. He is hanging out with Minoru Suzuki. He is getting spotted at Corican Hall. He's with Chris Charlton, Damian Abraham. I mean, he's it's a big deal going over to Japan with Wei Ting gracing the Japanese people with his presence. So he was way too busy to be spending any of it uh, chatting with me any more so than he needs to with uh, Raw and SmackDown. But uh, I'm going to handle things solo tonight. And we will run through this show. This was a takeover event that I think we have, we all kind of look at the television, I, I think for the last couple of takeovers going in. And sometimes it's not the most inspired uh, television, but these takeover events are just about can't miss. And that was certainly true of the takeover back in May, which was one of the best shows of the year, and it's continued. Uh, we saw going into this show, this was not a lineup on paper, I think outside of the war games that had the natural interest level above a typical uh, main event for a takeover show, but this was certainly a show that was built around the intrigue of that, how the rule set was going to work, how the three teams were going to work, and we got a main event that was a very lengthy match, 36 minutes in total, uh, so we'll go through all of that and see, was this a, a hit or a miss takeover event? On the pre-show, it consisted of Charlie Caruso, Booker T, and Sam Roberts, and Booker T frequently bringing up that it was here in Houston, Texas, that he was in the 1993 War Games, and Sam Roberts did have a great line where he was talking about the legends that were involved in that match, the likes of Sting, the British Bulldog, and the Shockmaster, which Booker just said he would rather not remember, Fred Ottman and his 1993 incarnation. Uh not much on this pre-show. It was only a half hour, which is all these pre-shows need to be. Uh, we had a backstage segment where Billy Kay took the microphone away from Christy St. Cloud and interviewed Peyton Royce, just going through the different members with a word association game. And you wouldn't believe it, but Peyton Royce believes she will walk out as the new champion tonight. And Booker also talked about Ember Moon, someone who has spent time training at his school in Houston and says he does not deserve all the credit for her success because she's been in the business for 11 years and the only other thing notable on this pre-show was the amount of times Charlie identified the fact that war games is happening 
for the first time in nearly 20 years. She must have said this about 20 times throughout this 30-minute pre-show to let us know that it has been the first time in nearly 20 years. So in WWE history, the Russo version in 2000 does not exist. Uh, we did have dark matches on the show with Pete Dunne versus Johnny Gargano and Sonya Deville versus Ruby Riot. Those two matches are going to be airing on Wednesday's television. Dunne and Gargano certainly had a lot of intrigue when that was announced. And the fact that I'm sure many people would have loved to have seen that on the TakeOver special. And uh, we'll see how the match goes. I didn't really see much uh, other than the results. I didn't hear too much about the uh, the quality. So the show opened up with clips of... Uh, former U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt declaring war. And this was mixed in with old clips of various War Games matches. I really like the use of the old War Games footage that they used in all of the build-up to this. And it's not something that the WWE typically relies on. They've got this incredible library. But when it, when it comes to selling your present and selling your future, they don't always uh, utilize those clips so well and using history as a big drawing tool for what's happening now. And I think throughout the War Games uh, promotion, they were very smart to rely on the history because that's where the intrigue lies. It's in the, the, the legacy of this match going back to 1987. And then the, if the first shot we get of the crowd is a dude holding up a scarf, a Kenny Omega scarf that just reads goodbye and goodnight. It was like they almost had to find this guy to just be the first image you would see as they showed the live crowd. It was something else. We had the two rings set up, so matches alternated between rings one and two, and thankfully this year there were no hidden trap doors in either ring. Cassius Ono took on Lars Sullivan, and I was curious what this match was going to be, and what it was is what... I think most anticipated a showcase for Lars Sullivan with a brief comeback given to Cassius Ono. Ono started off with his elbow that Sullivan just ate and dropped him with a shoulder tackle and then hit another one coming off the apron. Ono hit a boot, an insiguri, and then it did a kip up right into a clothesline from Lars Sullivan. Sullivan is extremely green, and I think working with a guy like Cassius Ono, especially on the road, would be very beneficial for Lars Sullivan. You could see even in this match, it was just a hair over five minutes, but even that, they kept everything very safe for Lars Sullivan. Um, we saw a pop-up into a power slam, which was about the most ambitious thing you saw out of Lars Sullivan, but did hit it. Ono kicked out of that. Then Sullivan goes to the top, missing the diving headbutt, and this is when Ono lands this beautiful straight right that just looked great with an elbow, an elbow to the back, running elbow to the back of the head. Sullivan is dazed. Ono followed with a cyclone kick, gets a two count, and then takes the arm, stomps Lars down, and hits a senton. Lars kicks out at one, ducked a rolling elbow as he got to his his feet and hit the freak accident, which is kind of like a, a waist, a waist lock into a urinagi. And that's his finish and one in five minutes and 15 seconds. So if you were expecting your kind of 12 minute opener that a lot of takeovers might feature, this was not it. This was, this was the worst match on the show. And I was just, it wasn't given a lot of time. And Cassius Ono was more there to really get over Lars Sullivan. And that's what the match was focused around. So Lars Sullivan is the, he is in the big monster role at the moment as we uh, come out of takeover. Uh, we had the usual guys showing in the crowd, Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, Mark Andrews, and Wolfgang were all there. 
And then throughout the night, William Regal was meeting with the teams involved in war games. There was no audio for this, just Regal coming in to speak with them, uh, starting off with the Undisputed Era. Alistair Black versus the Velveteen Dream. And the place goes nuts for Alistair Black when he comes out. They had the entrance full of candles for his entrance. And then the Velveteen Dream is out. And he's got these airbrushed tights with both him and Alistair's face on the tights with the words Say My Name above the crotch and then his NXT logo on the back. And Percy Watson identifies this as mind games, baby. And both Morrow and Nigel are quick to bring up Cheryl Roberts, the then wife of Jake the Snake Roberts and Rick Rude airbrushing her face onto his tights back during their feud. The crowd is chanting Velveteen at the start of this. Um, I guess it's contractual that every single Aleister Black match has to associate his training with Bob Schreiber, who also trains Stefan Struve. I don't think I've seen one Aleister Black match on television since he has debuted where Bob Schreiber and Stefan Struve are not brought up. Black hit this version of a Koji clutch, applied it onto uh, Dream's back, and then he tossed him, and and Dream gets face-planted on the floor, and Aleister Black did a quebrada into a seated position as Dream tries to slide back into the ring, gets up and thrusts his hips at Black as the fans chant, say his name. So then we had Velveteen Dream sit cross-legged in front of Aleister Black, and then Black gets on all fours and mimics Velveteen Dream by leaning in towards him. Um, we had Dream tease a dive, but instead just did the Masawa flip over the top onto the edge and then rolled back into the ring. I will say this. This match is going to get a ton of praise from people. The first five, six minutes of this, it just felt like moves. That's what I felt like I was watching. It was moves from one guy moves from the other guy and it wasn't clicking for me but there was a midpoint and maybe it was just these dual taunts at one another because the crowd and first of all the crowd was very pro velveteen dream they really got into the character here and it felt like this was a character that it felt really over to this houston crowd and that's when things really picked up here for i would say the final six to seven minutes of the match so there's a super kick to Black for a near fall. Then he hit a rude awakening for a two count, utilizing a lot of the Rick Rude mannerisms, more so than usual. Um, Velveteen Dream, he staggered out of the corner and gets hit with a standing quebrada by Black coming off the middle rope. And then there was a head kick by Black and Velveteen Dream lands this Death Valley driver, gets a big near fall that the crowd bought on. So I think that was already mission accomplished, getting the audience to bite on the near falls for Velveteen Dream. Black then kicked him off the turnbuckle, hit a running knee for a two count. Clark then hit this new move, which was somewhat uh, reminiscent of the Sister Abigail, but instead of just reaching around the guy's neck and palming the back of his neck, it was getting the arm around into like a DDT as he pulled his weight down. Uh, he got a two count off of this. Then Clark gets caught in the ropes, Patrick Clark, and he eats a boot coming off the top. There's a spinning knee to the face. And finally, Alistair Black hits the black mass and pins Velveteen Dream at 14 minutes and 41 seconds. Even if you have all the 
confidence in the world in Alistair Black. I don't think anyone could have anticipated this match would have clicked to this degree. They ended up having a really solid match. I think you could say the second best match on the show, and that would be very surprising. Velveteen Dream got so much more out of losing in this match than what a win would have been in an average match. I don't think that it would have been the right call to beat Alistair Black because I think that guy has top guy potential uh, tattooed all over him. He just feels like a superstar that's going to explode. Um, and there was there were some other guys with that same potential that we would see on this show. But Velveteen Dream um, just made a giant leap forward, I thought, with this match and this character that this audience loved. So afterwards... Velveteen Dream is selling the effects of the black mass. He's down on the on the mat, and Black sits next to him. He gets the microphone, and he says, Enjoy infamy, Velveteen Dream. The crowd goes nuts because he's finally said his name, and Nigel says, correctly, both men won. Then they showed Asuka, Finn Balor, and Funaki in the audience, and Asuka, just her charisma in looking on camera and dancing here was tremendous. That set up the four-way. Kyrie Sane, Ember Moon, Nikki Cross, and Peyton Royce for the vacant women's title. Uh, this was a match I had heard they had uh, certainly put together the key stuff for ahead of time. And so this was a match that I think all four women, they were very much prepared going into this one. Uh, Billy Kay did come out with Nikki Cross, sorry, with Peyton Royce, and then returned to the back and just had her go at it alone. Ember uh, starts off early with a low pay to Peyton Royce and Kyrie Sane, which Nigel McGuinness said, two birds with one stone, quite literally. No, that was a 100% metaphor when Ember Moon took out both of these women on the floor. Then she followed with a powerbomb to Nikki Cross on the floor. Uh, back inside the ring, Royce did a version of the tarantula to Sane with her leg wrapped around her neck in the ropes, wrenching on Sane's arm, looked really good. And then Ember Moon broke it up. I'm not sure why, because this would not have been a finish at all. Uh, Royce then hit a German to Ember Moon off the turnbuckle while superplexing Sane for their Tower of Doom spot. Then Nikki Cross hits this draping, swinging neckbreaker to Moon from the top. Royce returns with a fisherman suplex to Nikki, and Kyrie Sane ran in to make the save, but she, she was late doing it, just by like half a second. But the referee hesitated, and the crowd knew it that this pinfall was not timed well. So they continued. And then Kyrie hit an Alabama slam to Peyton Royce, dropping her on top of Nikki Cross. So Sane climbs to the top rope for the insane elbow. The problem here is that she put Peyton on top of Nikki's cro Nikki Cross, whose shoulders were on the canvas. And thus, Peyton Royce has basically won this match to this audience twice in the matter of 60 seconds with the late save by Sane and then Sane placing Hoyce, Royce on top of Nikki Cross. I'm going to butcher that Royce and Hoyce many, many times. Um, so this could have been very easily avoided by doing the exact same spot, but just turn Nikki Cross over onto her stomach and then do the Alabama slam with Royce on top of Cross's back and then climb to the top. And therefore you eliminate this inadvertent pinfall with Royce just laying on top of Nikki Cross, which this was. So, 
Anyway, she hits the insane elbow, goes for the pin, but Ember saves. And this is when Nigel points out that she should have gone for the pinfall on Royce, who was the one who took the brunt of the insane elbow, which was a nice bit of attention to detail. And then with Peyton Royce and Nikki Cross staggered in the ring, Ember hits the double eclipse off the top, pinning Cross at 9 minutes and 52 seconds. So Ember Moon is Daniel Cormier winning the women's title um, as the outgoing champion, Asuka, presented the title to her. Uh, in the ring afterwards, taking the title from William Regal to present it to her, and they hugged and got the endorsement of the former champion with Ember Moon holding the new championship. So, I, first of all, I thought that this match, it had some of its hiccups, which I outlined. In terms of a match that was laid out, I thought that they hit everything well. I just don't think this this ever graduated to that next level that Asuka's big matches did. Um, it was just like a lot of well-put-together spots that everyone was there for, minus the, the save on the pinfall, and then having that kind of gap in logic with the phantom pinfall with Peyton Royce on top of Nikki Cross. But it was a good match. The crowd was into it. Um, but there were some some issues within it. In terms of Ember Moon winning it, um, given the fact she had failed so many times, they were in Houston, it made sense to put the title on Ember Moon. Uh, they, they certainly protected Kyrie Sane, which would be my expectation for the next major program. And of all the women in this match, though, it felt like Peyton Royce was the one the crowd gravitated to the most. Like, you... This doesn't always happen on takeover shows. You might see this on big shows from WWE where the audience, especially a smarter audience, will get behind underpushed characters or characters that they feel are not at the level the audience perceives them at. This was a show where they got into Velveteen Dream, where they got into Peyton Royce, um, and later Andrade as well. So you saw this crowd kind of pick their people and... In those three examples, all heels that they got behind in their respective ways throughout the night. So I still thought it was a pretty good showing for Peyton Royce. I think her and Billy Kay, they have a great act. And I thought Peyton Royce was one of the standouts in this match. I thought she looked really great. So then they showed Kevin Owens sitting in the crowd wearing an Undisputed Era t-shirt. And Samoa Joe they showed as well. That took us into the NXT title match with Drew McIntyre defending the title against Andrade Cien Almas. And before the match, Zelina Vega got into the face of Drew before the bell even rung. And she was present throughout this match, uh, sticking around at ringside and was a big focus of the match. Drew blocked this Hurricane Rana attempt. The referee's back was turned, and Vega went for a Hurricane Rana off the apron, but Drew blocked it and just seated her down on the apron to continue. Almas used an armbar in the ropes, the Minoru Suzuki armbar. He attacked the left arm. Crowd is chanting back and forth for both men. Uh, McIntyre then caught him, hit a uh, Celtic cross. Then we had a 3MB chant, of all things, from the Houston crowd, and... That might be something that for bigger audiences that Drew might have to tackle at some point. So you'll remember when Bray Wyatt was first brought up from the from NXT to the main roster, and there was a small window of time where he had to battle those Husky Harris chants. And 
hopefully this isn't a pattern because it just it didn't fit at all and it was just stalling the match to me it was a brief chant but it just seemed to be to the detriment of the momentum they were trying to build almost caught him with a spinning inverted ddt out of the corner looked really good uh drew reversed a reverse rana uh, sorry, blocked the reverse Rana and then hit a Alabama slam. Almost then sent Drew into the post on the floor with a head scissors and hit this beautiful looking standing moonsault to the floor. And Nigel yells he got 20 feet in the air, which was hilarious because later on in the War Games match, we'd see a superplex from the top of the cage that Nigel also estimated was 20 to 25 feet. So varying degrees of 20 feet on this show from Nigel McGuinness. There was a double foot stomp into uh, Drew, who was in the Tree of Woe, and then the running knees in the corner. They were just going for impact, impact, impact here for the fans to believe that Almas could win this match. Uh, Drew did this deadlift into a sit-out powerbomb, got a two-count, hit the Future Shock DDT for another near-fall. Almost then distracts on the floor while grabbing the title. So the referee's dealing with him. Zelina Vega comes in with a basement Hurricane Rana smashing Drew's face into the mat. Almost returns with the hammerlock DDT. Everyone thinks it's over. Drew kicks out of the hammerlock DDT. And then Drew recovers in the corner. He lands the Claymore. And Vega is able to put the foot of Almas onto the bottom rope, breaking up the cover. This is when the crowd crowd is chanting CCC in support of Almas. Drew then misses with a running boot into the corner. Almas then takes Drew, drapes him on the top into a spike DDT. And as soon as he hit this... You just knew the match was over, and it was. Almost pinned McIntyre at 14 minutes and 54 seconds. I'll definitely say a surprise finish. I th- when we were previewing this show earlier this week, I said it was. I thought it was a lock that Drew McIntyre would retain this title. But I do have to say, the more, especially midway through this match. It really did feel like almost did have some momentum behind him from this crowd. And I think he's going to have a really good run with this title. I think this guy has whatever confidence he was lacking, whatever insecurities he had when he left uh, and joined NXT. I think he's gotten through those. I think the association with Vega has very much helped them. They remind me a lot of the same dynamic Rusev and Lana had at one point. And I think that Almas, uh, there's a lot of fun matches you can have with Almas, who I think just has his rhythm down now. And this guy is, when he's on, he's among the best you're going to have on this roster. WWE, main roster, or NXT. Um, I think very highly of him. So I'm curious to see how this run is. And I'm I'm not adverse to this title change. And Almas now as the focal point focal heel on the nxt brand uh good match i never felt this escalated to feel like that big championship match um it was in the shadow of the war games throughout this whole build-up um so that would maybe be the negative but it was one that the crowd really got into and i I thought almost looked really good in the match as well and probably a rematch coming out of this i don't know if you would want to extend that to january i think maybe that could be something that is reserved for television um, Nigel says afterwards, all is fair in love and sports entertainment. And Almas was so excited. He hoisted up the title on the ramp with so much force that he lost control of the title and dropped it. And one thing I really loved about the post match, like so often you'll see just, uh, 
you know, especially on impact where you do a big angle, you do a big match and then boom, you just cut away. This one, they stayed there for the longest time and we got like the back and forth cuts of Almas and just in total ecstasy of winning this title. And then we cut to Drew in disbelief with the trainers losing this. And they went back and forth to show that juxtaposition that I thought was great. It was great directing and told this story. And realistically, for a storytelling uh, purpose, this redemption of Andrade Cien Almas, who had hit rock bottom, who had lost to Cesar Bononi on television, and then Zelina Vega comes in, turns this guy's career around, and he capitalizes and he wins the championship. I mean, this kind of tells that story a lot better than had Drew just beat him here and Almas is out of the picture. So this was, uh, I I enjoyed this. I thought this from start to finish was a really good story told and leaves a lot of options open for Almas in the future and potential opponents beyond Drew McIntyre. Main event time, before the war games, they show Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson. And Dustin, you know, you'll get a lot of guys who are just, they do the cameo appearance and they're very low-key, nod their head. Not Dustin Rhodes. He treated this like he just got a hot tag and was making a 1987 Memphis babyface comeback. He just jumped out of his seat, looked all the way over, hugged Arn. I mean, this was his spot. He was going to take in this pop. And... uh Arn was just more or less, yep, let's uh let's just keep her going. They read the rules for the match. One element or one rule, I should say, that I don't think was public beforehand. It could be wrong here, but they added the fact that if your team escapes the cage, that team forfeits the match. So to escape the cage would be uh, fatal to your team's chances of winning the match. So we've gone over this. It started off with three men. In this case, it was uh Roderick Strong, Adam Cole, and Eric Young starting the match. Uh, They would do a five-minute period, and then every three minutes, one of the guy's entire team would join him. And they kind of played around with the time here. Uh, We'll go over that. The authors and Roderick Strong came out. They were all in uniform together in camouflage pants, flak jackets, and these hoods that were covering their entire faces as they came out. Uh, So match begins with Young, Cole, and Strong. Adam Cole goes to climb right at the beginning, and they stop him. They don't really explain why he was trying to climb, and the announcers pointed this out. It would make no sense to climb, and Nigel was trying to defend him. Cole did hit a Ushiguroshi to Young, and he controlled most of this five-minute period, which I'll say this, this five-minute period, very uneventful. Uh, very little happened in this five minutes. Uh, it was just kind of waiting until a full team would join, and I think anyone that could figure out the logic here uh, knew which team would be joining first, and that was the the heel tandem uh, with O'Reilly and Fish joining Cole after the first five minutes. So they get added to the match. They all went after Roderick immediately. There was a wheelbarrow suplex to Strong delivered by Fish. Then they went after Eric Young, back to Strong. They repeatedly ran into him into the cage. So then those three minutes are up, and they're doing the uh, you know the lights out with the spotlight going back and forth between the two cages with Sanity and the authors team, and the lights messed up here. They landed on Sanity, 
and then they just went dark and put the lights on the authors. So there was a technical screw up here. The authors came out. They attacked the Undisputed Era members, and then they just took turns tossing guys from one ring to the next. They back body dropped Eric Young from the first ring to the second, and he nearly didn't make it, landing on the rope as he landed. Then they tossed Roderick with a beal from one ring to the other. The audience really loved their power spots, and they were they really felt like the Road Warriors in this setting, in war games. And um, this period ended with double fireman's carries to Fish and O'Reilly into Young and Cole, who were in Tree of Woes in opposite sides of the corner. So this was just the authors running wild, and they're very fun to watch doing these monster spots. So instead of going three minutes, they went a bit longer here. Sanity finally entered at the 12-minute and 10-second mark. So war games begun at this point, and they ended up going about 24 minutes from the time all the teams were in the match. And there were so many um, different spots throughout this. Everyone worked super hard here. Uh, Wolf snuck in a nightstick into the match, attacking the guys with it. And Killian Dane then brought these weapons out from under the ring. We're talking trash cans, chairs, chains, kendo sticks. And then the crowd starts chanting for tables. So loudly and I don't know if it was Dane calling an audible or if they were always just he was just going to get around to the tables but when he walked to the other side and pulled out the tables it was the biggest pop on the entire show when these tables came out this was nuts I couldn't believe this crowd was just that amped up to see tables the door is finally locked and Dane takes the key and puts it into his mouth Dane is then, I guess maybe he watched that cage match with Michael Hayes slamming the door on Kerry Von Erich's head. And maybe he realized we're not going to screw around with anyone opening the door. So Dane then hits his running drop kick while landing with a senton to take out both members of the authors. Dane had this awesome stretch here. He hit a Michinoku driver to... Adam Cole, while on top of Bobby Fish, which looked nuts. Um, Killian Dane really looked great in this match, I thought. Um, we had Dane and Razor have this stare down from the opposite rings and finally came at one another and did kind of like Godzilla versus King Kong in the middle of the ring. Um, then there was the Chasing the Dragon that was hit the strong with Michael uh, with. Michael Cole, Adam Cole assisting as well. O'Reilly then wrapped a chain around the face of Alexander Wolf while applying an armbar, which was broken up by a Eric Young top rope elbow drop. Fish hit this great looking moonsault to stop Eric Young from going for the cover onto O'Reilly. The authors hit a super collider to Fish and O'Reilly and ran them into Dane, who was standing in between the rings with O'Reilly and Fish. Strong then did this huge comeback, hitting all these guys with backbreakers with an Olympic slam to Dane, and then Cole broke that up. They did a double Tower of Doom spot that took down everyone with the exception of Adam Cole, who was just sitting on the top of the turnbuckles in between both uh, rings, and he just stood there as all these guys have just died falling. He just stands there, and he extends his arms for this big pop, and it reminded me of this line Raven once used about... The real heat is not the the gang members that run into the ring and attack the baby faces. The heat is for the guy that joins the gang and doesn't get his hands dirty and then just takes the credit for it. 
you are, you'll remember when the flock would run in and they'd take out guys and Raven would just stand there and watch and then he'd put his arms out and he'd get the biggest pop or the most heat because here's the guy that's not getting his hands dirty. And that's what this reminded me of with Adam Cole just kind of sitting there with this grin on his face as we had these simultaneous Tower of Doom spots involving the other eight guys in the match. So from there, there was this one spot where there was a German suplex from Alexander Wolf uh, t- to one of the members of the authors where they came off the turnbuckle um, and went through a table and Wolf's head got cut open and he was out of this match for a good six minutes, I would say. And later they showed remnants of the table and there was a pool of blood from Alexander Wolf's head. It was the back of his head that got cut uh, from this table spot and it just looked nuts. Um, so anyway, he did eventually uh, rejoin the match. So, as we skip forward here a little bit, this was where we had Strong climb to the top. Uh, Adam Cole had scaled to the top, and Strong went up there, delivered a superplex onto the other guys in the ring. This looked crazy. And Strong went for the cover. Cole kicked out. And then the last chapter was hit to Killian Dane on the steel panel between the rings by the authors. Cole then nailed Young with a kendo stick and ended it with a shining wizard into a chair into Young's head. And Adam Cole pinned Eric Young 36 minutes and 32 seconds. And the Undisputed Era stood tall inside of the ring, um, basking in the glow of Drake Younger's tan, which was noted by many people. He must have fallen asleep in a tanning bed because this guy looked like an orangutan in this match. Um, Really phenomenal main event. Um, I would say that this was uh, one of the better war games, um, not peak level war games. I wouldn't say this was at the level of the 92 or 91 versions or even that first one in 87, which had the insane heat. Um, But this was, I will say this was uh, doing the gimmick justice is how I would classify this. And by the end of the match, Adam Cole felt like a star on this brand. I think it's just a matter of time before he's a babyface. Him, Aleister Black, and Andrade, they all felt like big main event players coming out of this. Um, And Adam Cole was the focal point of the match. Killian Dane got a lot of shine in this as well. Um, Roderick Strong at his moments, but Adam Cole and Killian Dane, to me, were the big focus uh, of the match. And Adam Cole, the primary one, getting the winning pinfall. And that was it. The Undisputed Era just were like selling the effects of the match. And that's how the show went off the air. In terms of a takeover event, you know, this was a very good show. I would recommend this show in a heartbeat, uh, especially the main event and especially Aleister Black and Velveteen Dream. Uh, but takeover events are always great. They're always good. So when you have to break them down into like best to worst takeovers, I wouldn't say this was one of the best takeover events overall. This felt like one that was um, helped by those two matches and the rest of the show was it was good. It was a good show, and takeovers have exceeded being just good. Um, So in terms of a takeover event, uh, this is not a blow-away show to me, but it was a really, really solid main event, so I almost feel silly criticizing it. I'm just comparing it to other takeover events that um, whether or not this one was um, 
on the upper scale of takeover events, which I'm curious if uh, people thought it was. Because going in, this one, one wasn't one that had the biggest amount of interest, um, but it was a show that delivered. And I did put out a poll asking people what they thought the best match was. And I had 490 votes, and the show just ended an hour ago. 48% voted for the War Games match, 40% for Alistair Black, Velveteen Dream, and then just 9% for McIntyre and Almas, and 3% for the women's four-way. So maybe I did a disservice here splitting the vote, because if you take out McIntyre, Almas, and the women's four-way, you might be close to neck and neck with Alistair Black and Velveteen Dream. A lot of people love that match. And those were the top two matches, War Games and then Black and the Velveteen Dream. So that is NXT TakeOver, night one of their Survivor Series weekend in Houston. Uh, some notes going into the Survivor Series. They have confirmed that Natalia will be part of the women's Survivor Series team on the SmackDown side. And another thing they're trying out on the WWE Network is that you can buy this show just a la carte for twenty four ninety nine without having to subscribe and commit to the network. So I think it's a good experiment for the company to try. I'm surprised they haven't done it by now, and it'll be curious to see if it does any kind of business. Um, so that is it. Um, we will be back uh, for sure Monday night. Uh, Wei Ting will be joining me Monday night. The New Japan World Tag League also kicked off on Saturday. Uh, normally, I would go through it now, but I'm going to wait till Monday because Wei attended that show, so I'd like to chat with him about it and get his live perspective on the first night of the World Tag League, and I, I actually have not watched the show yet, so I may do that tonight, to be honest. So that is coming up. Survivor Series is Sunday night. Um, keep this RSS feed handy. Uh, we are at John and Wei. Four dot life. That's the number four dot life. And you can follow me at I am John Pollock. So if any uh, bonus shows appear, you can find them here. That is it. And we will speak with you in the near future.